I love the last part of that um, that song. I want to be where you are. I'm I'm supposing that that is the desire and the heartbeat of so many people sitting in this room. Well, this week it was my turn. Um, everybody gets one, and uh, I'm I'm pretty certain that you had your turn sometime, uh, and maybe it was this week or. Maybe it's going to be next week. You know that turn where everything goes wrong um, and uh, it keeps getting worse? Um, we, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm on the phone a lot. That's what I do. I talk to a lot of people, so I have my, a Bluetooth. I lost my Bluetooth, and I'm, I know you're like, <laughs> Then the air conditioning of our house broke, and uh, it was, um, trying to think of the word, sweltering. That's the word I'm looking for. And uh, it, it always happens after hours, you know, and um, so we had a nice sweltering night and, you know, our kids kept coming, Dad, it's hot, you know, after the 15th time, Dad, it's, I know it's hot, there's <laughs> nothing to do. My mom got sick and, uh, and sicker and sicker and landed in the hospital this week. She's, she is doing better and she's got fluids going through her and all that and so I think that's a good thing uh, that she's actually being taken care of. I went to go see her, and the uh, the back tire of my car was flat. And I'm like, really? Okay, really? <laughs> and uh, all those things, you know, they add up. <clears throat> so when you come to church, people always say, how was your week? And, you, you know, the Christian answer is like, great, how was yours, right? Well, <clears throat> I got a different answer for this week. In fact, I brought a picture of like, so you don't, I don't have to answer that question a hundred times. This is how my week is. I'm a little stressed right now. Just turn around and leave quietly and no one gets hurt. You know, that's really what I'd like to say. No, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. You know, just a little stressed. All those things in life just kind of mount up at times, don't they? And I, and I think it's okay to get stressed, it's a natural thing for us. And, but I think sometimes we look at stress as a negative. Like, well, you're not trusting God enough. <clears throat> if you were entirely, you know, uh, resting in God, then you'd be... And I'm like, okay, yeah, take a hike. I'm, I'm trying to be stressed here. Give me a little space to be stressed out. <clears throat> you might ask the question, did D- Jesus get stressed? I mean, this is the Son of God. He was in the pocket with his Father Walking, you know, you every picture that's depicted of Christ, he's got his act together, and and he's just totally a peaceful type guy. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, he's got a British accent, at least in the movies, and uh, it's kind of weird, but he does. Uh, so when we get to heaven, he goes, "Hey, mate," and we're gonna—that's Australian or not even that, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. <laughs> I was like Southern bad British Australian something. <clears throat> And, but, you know, you think, well, maybe since he is who he is, he wouldn't get stressed. He actually did. We're in a, this collection. In fact, this is the last day of this collection inside window where we're peering into the emotions of Christ. Let me say one more time that Christ was the tangible, touch, touchable uh, version of God, our creator, and standing on this side of Christ, uh, on the, the, the side of Christ that he came and we get to study about him, as opposed to 
standing on the side of history where you just yearned that he would come and wonder what he would be like, the promised Messiah. We stand on the privileged side of Christ. We very well might be the generation that sees Christ come. You see, this generation before Christ, they knew that that wasn't going to be the case because he was coming the first time. We stand to be that generation that he could come this afternoon. And for the week I'm having, I'm like, oh, come, Lord Jesus, now. (laughs) For those that were before the physical entrance of Christ on earth, they saw God manifested in many miraculous and mysterious ways, like a pillar of fire, a cloud of smoke, uh, mysterious ways that really for the, the average human being were awestruck and yet hard to touch. You see, the beautiful advantage that we have in being in living A.D., after Christ is that we got to see how he reacted, how he responded, what made him kick over tables, what made tears run down his face, what made the air go out of his heart, we saw, what disappointed him, what jazzed him, what got him excited, what were the things that he was saying, oh, see that, that's what's exciting, all those things. We get the privilege of understanding the touchable God, the the tangible God. One last time, can I remind us, John said, the gospel writer said this, that Christ, which was that we saw, that we heard, that we touched, that we embraced, that we felt. There's sometimes that I, I wish that Christ were physically here. Do you ever wonder, do you ever wish that? There are times in my life, I'm gonna be I'm gonna go real weird on you right now. I'm not telling you you should do it, but there's sometimes that when I'm praying, I, I I physically go like this as if Christ were here, and I just wanna hug him. You know, I, you just wanna say, Oh, yeah, I we need that touchable Christ in our lives. Often when we're worshiping, as we have today, um, we lift our hands in worship. We clap our hands in praise. We want to say, God, just be close to us. We want to know what you're like. We see today another touchable moment. This touchable moment is something that we need because, quite honestly, If you were to say, I don't know what stress is, you wouldn't be telling the truth, right? We've all experienced. It's okay to be stressed about the right things. Often, it's because we're stressed about the wrong things that that's where the rub comes in. Today, I want you to see a picture of Christ being stressed about the right things. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 and verse 39 today. At the end of Christ's life, this was a time where he um, uh, understood fully what was about to happen in his life. He knew that he was about to be arrested, and we see him entering in to, to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane as we know it. If you read the story of Jesus, we understand that 
immediately following this prayer, uh, soldiers um, came in, raided the garden, uh, arrested him, and uh, did some very cruel things in the, in the coming weeks. Talk about a bad week. Jesus was about to have one. Luke 22, verse 39. <clears throat> Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, meaning he had gone here many times to pray. We've seen that in the stories of Jesus, that he frequently went to pray. He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew from them alone, as he often did, about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, if there is any way that what I'm about to experience could be done in another way, please, I'm asking that you take this cup away from me. Have you ever prayed that? I have. God, if there's any way that we can avoid what's about to happen, man, please, God, yet such a famous prayer, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Now watch this. And being in anguish, now, the original words there in, this, in the language of, of, of Greek, the original words mean and being heavy in anxiety and stress, being in anguish. As you're reading devotionally the scriptures, there are times that we just we can easily read over these little words like, oh, he was in anguish. What does that mean? But it, what happened is it deepened in that's heaviness. And at this moment, he prayed more earnestly. How do we know the words of this prayer? I would propose to you that Jesus wasn't praying like this. Because we know that he was a stone's distance away. That means you take a stone and you throw it as long as you can. I don't know how long a pe person can throw a stone, maybe 50 yards or so. He was that far away, so we're, he, we know he was like, God, if there's any way you can take this cup away. Mm -mm. He, w he began the prayer by saying, oh, God, this is the hour. This is the moment. If there's any way you can take, because there's no way they could have written this prayer unless they had heard it. But in this moment, he picked it up. We would have said he amped it up. And he became more earnest, more in anguish, more in stress to the point that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. In other words, he was drenched in this moment. When we first started 360, I did a multiple level of jobs here and there to just have income. And one of my first jobs was laying wire up in the attics of homes in, in the middle of the summer. I mean, in three minutes, you were just drenched. And, and I'm imagining, if you've ever been in that scenario, what it feels like. This is the description that we're getting here. Don't scurf over it. I'm hearing Christ in the garden. Oh, Father, oh, God, please, if there's any way. You feel the anguish and the stress, and there's a good reason for it. Some may say, well, if you were in that position, 
and you were Christ, you would know the obvious reason he's stressed is that he understands the physical horror that he's about to encounter. I say no. I think it's for a different reason. You may say that like anyone, when they know that moment of death is about to come on them, that maybe he was in anguish and stressed and heavy and more earnest and we would like to say sweating like a hog in that moment because death was near. I say no. I think there's a deeper reason. You might think that the obvious reason that he's in stress is that he's been camping out for three and a half years with the closest of friends, and he's grown tight with these guys, and it's at this moment that he won't be intersecting with them as much as he's at, and he's heavy about that. I would propose to you, no, that there is something deeper here that's happening. You see, in the book of Revelation, In chapter 13 and verse 8, we read something so profound that it is impossible, not just difficult, but impossible for us to wrap our minds around. We are told in Revelation 13, 8, this, that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, homework. You go home, figure that out. Come back and help me out with that, because that's a heavy one. That means that before Adam took his first breath, that God in his brilliant foreknowledge and foresight, being able to see, not even see in the future, he is the future, if you can wrap your mind around. He is past, he is present, he is future. Whatever is happening in 2053 is happening now for God. At any rate, we're back. It's tough. But in eternity, before the world even got going, God is seeing that he creates this perfect utopia in Eden and that he can, he can watch the film as it's going on and, he's, and it just breaks his heart of what's happening. He sees humanity all the time. He's back here in eternity and in their hearts, they know that Christ was actually slain in the heart of God before Adam took his first breath. Oh, what a deep, profound God we have. This was no moment of surprise. So why would he be stressed? He's not just known for a week. He's not known for a month. He's not known for a millennia. He's known for eternity that this moment was about to happen. Something profound is Stirring in the heart of Christ as we read this passage. When we're worshiping, some lift their hands in worship. I love to lift my hands in worship. I love to clap in worship because there's something that, that is about us that is it is just a natural emotion. Like when you see somebody you haven't seen for a long time, ah, oh, great to see you. Wow. 
and we, we give people hugs. I'm, I'm just kind of that way anyway. And I w- went to Belize a couple weeks ago, as you know, and, and this guy that I, I don't know all that well, he, I, and I've been to the property that we have there, the children's home, a, a, a lot, and he's done so much work to it. It's just amazing. And he built this really cool outdoor kitchen, and uh, it's hot there, so he put screens on it so the wind is blowing through. I saw that kitchen. I was overwhelmed. And I said, dude, I just got to hug you right now, man. And he's like, who's this weird guy who's like really excited about a kitchen, dude? It's just a kitchen. Calm down, cowboy. You know, but it's just, there's a natural sense that God has put in us that is a hand up in the air like, God, I, I can't reach heaven, but I, I just wanted you to, to know that my joy is flowing through this or flowing through a, a, a hug or flowing through a handshake. There's some transference that happens with us. We're not computers. We're not machinery. We have this element. In the Old Testament, there are some customs that we don't get because we weren't there. But for example, when a patriarch like a Jacob was near the end of his life, he would gather around the heirs, in many cases the sons, and in that moment, that person would lay a hand like Jacob would lay a hand on his son and say, I'm going to transfer a blessing to you. Now, put your seatbelt on. We're going to go into the classroom for a second. That means that it could get a little dry here for the next 10 minutes. If that's not your bag, this would be a good time for you to go back and grab a snack. Come on back in 10 minutes. We'll catch up with you. But I think that it's important for us to think as followers of Christ. I'm gathering in this generation after we've been through the boomer generation and, and the, the seeker service and, and all the arts productions. And I'm just seeking from a lot of Christians that we're tired of ice cream, frankly, that we're tired of just the easy, give it to me, give me a little love and joy. It's all I kind of need. I want to go home. I think we want to think. I believe that we want to say, give me something of a little bit more depth because I've had enough snacky stuff, enough ice cream. So watch this. In that day, the patriarch would lay hands on his sons. Now, he could have done it without laying hands, but he did. And in that moment, it was transferred. There was something about the right hand that the oldest son typically got the blessed, the first blessing, and there was power, more power in the right hand than there was the left hand in that day. In fact, um, Genesis chapter 48, verse 14, Jacob at the end of his life, in this moment, he reached out his right hand and he put it on Ephraim's head, though he was younger and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And Joseph, in that moment, one of the sons of Jacob, said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You got it wrong. He said, I know what I'm doing here. I don't understand what was happening completely. But what I do catch is that they, they became a conduit at that moment by laying on their hands, and God was using that. Now, when you read the New Testament, 
our New Testament culture is, has something similar. Like in, in um, Acts chapter 8, Peter and John had come down to Samaria. And watch, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 17, Peter and John, he, they came across some uh, people, and he, they placed their hands on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. There was this transference. They were like a conduit. We do that. We're called to do that. It's not like ooh, anything magical or anything, but because we're not machinery, we're humans. And so we'll call people up at times. You've seen us when people go on trips or when people say, I'm my body, there's something happening in my body. We're told to anoint them with oil. We're told to touch them, to lay our hands on them. When leaders are made leaders, we lay their hands so that we become conduits of God to flow through us. Uh, Acts, I mean, Second uh, Timothy verse 1 and verse 6 Paul said this to Timothy, for this reason, uh, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, Tim, you remember that time I came to your place? I laid hands on you, and the Holy Spirit came on you. There was a level of transference. All right, here we go. When Christ um, died for us, and we use the term, Christ died for your sins. Something more magnificent was happening in that moment. And it dates all the way back, all the way back, thousands of years of what their practice and their custom was. When we sinned in the Garden of Eden collectively, God's perfection had to, to kick in at this point. You see, God is perfect with everything. He is perfect in his judgment, in his wisdom, in his love, in his care, in his mercy. We're told that there is not an ounce, a sniff of darkness, of imperfection in, in God. He is absolutely perfect. That means that he cannot be imperfect. The, the, it is impossible for God to make an imperfect move. When it comes to our mistakes, our failures, our sin, those things had to be penalized and judged. If God were a human judge, or let's take a human judge, if that human judge is listening to different um, crimes and different uh, cases, and a person comes in, let's say, and they've murdered somebody, and a judge says, you know, I know this is a tough crime, uh, but I got to tell you, I'm feeling overly merciful today, so I'm going to let this one go. Well, we would think of that judge as a nice person, but not a good judge, because society would be full of people that need, they need it to be penalized for their crime. They, they did the crime, they had to do the time. That's the way society works. So God was not just a nice being who said, oh, I can just let your sin go. doesn't really matter. But he's also perfect in mercy. What an incredible intersection of tension. Just think about that. If you're a God, like, I can't let this go, and yet my love for you is so profound and deep and perfect that I want to love you. So God came up with a whole different approach which again, I'm going to use the word brilliant. 
Instead of just letting things go, God said, I'm going to have to penalize the sin, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take an animal and in your place, because an animal doesn't have a soul, so there's no eternal consequence, I'm going to substitute this animal in your place, and I'm going to transfer your sin, your crimes, your bad stuff, your skeletons, on this animal, and in that moment, I can penalize the animal through death, through separation, through a different methods that we're going to see, and at the same time, I get to let you go in perfect love. Amazing, amazing. Now, some of you that know the story and where I'm heading, you're like, cool, I love this part. I love this part of the Bible. For some of you, you're like, what? An animal? What? That's really... See, it's bizarre to us because we're not in that culture of, of cattle and sheep, and we're thinking, well, that seems mean, but God is thinking an eternal uh, mindset, eternal perspective. You see, if a cow doesn't have a soul that's going to go to heaven, would you not rather transfer that penalty onto that animal rather than a person who would have to pay for it eternally? Amazing. Watch what happens here. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21, called the Day of Atonement. The priest brings out an animal. In this case, it's a goat. The priest, in verse 21, is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the people, of the Israelites, all their sins, all of it. Oh, God, we've done this, we've done this, and we've not done this. And, we're, and in that moment, and put them on the, on the goat's head. Put what on the goat's head? The hands? No, the sins, the rebellion, all the junk, all the awfulness. In this moment, ask me to explain it. Don't get it, but I'm telling you, in this moment, there was a transference of all the junk of the community on this animal at this point. Then the priest shall send the goat away into the desert into the care of a man appointed for the task. <laughs> oh, I can't. Uh, you can't even scurf over those small words. I'm telling you. All right. This is off script. Here we go. Stop the tape now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You remember after the resurrection when Jesus comes and he said, hey, guys, and they're like, whoa, there he is. And he opened up the scriptures and they said their hearts burned. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, it is going to be so much that way. That Christ is saying, you know that, that thing in the Leviticus where you're about to fall asleep because you're reading Leviticus? And it says, you know, he put it in the care of a man appointed for the task. I just am looking forward to those moments where we're like, ah, man, I missed that. I read right over that. Fell asleep during Leviticus 16. Whoa. I think there's going to be a lot of whoa's there in heaven. Just saying. Hey, I'm back. Now watch this. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a solitary place. The guy took the goat out into this wilderness happy ending, and he let the goat go. And all those sins 
were removed from the camp. Do you remember the words of John the Baptist when he saw Christ? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not just reforms them, makes them better, helps us feel kind of good. No, he takes away because something miraculous, something so profound, if you're like, I'm confused, I am too, something so miraculous happens in that moment of transference. Where do you think we get the name scapegoat? You see, it happens in my house on a daily basis, transference. You go back to the bedroom, they're throwing stuff, Legos in the eye, eye poking and all that. They're wrestling, and that's a southern word, they're wrestling. I'm like, and I'm standing in the doorway, and I'm like, hey, and I don't, you know, <laughs> and automatically, uh-uh, transference. It was him, he's the one. I'm like, don't even give it to me. <laughs> Scapegoats. Let me tell you why this happened. In this moment, there were times where the, the priest who was the representative in that culture laid his hands on a bull to transfer all the sin, and that bull was killed. In this case, with the goat, the goat was let go. Both are separation. Death is separation. The goat was separated. Get it out. Take it away from this world. Get it out of the camp. There's a reason that we find in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, a, a book that's not often read. God, your eyes are too pure to behold evil, and you cannot look on wrongdoing. You see, we're told that the perfection of God's view is that when people say, hey, how do you get to heaven? Well, you just be good enough. You cannot be good enough because you are imperfect no matter how hard you try. I don't care if you think you blew it when you were seven years old or you're 77 years old. And what the scripture is telling us is that God's perfection does not allow imperfection to come into his presence. And he's saying, I can't allow. It's, it's not even though I don't want to allow it. It just can't happen. It's like magnets being resisted against each other imperfection cannot come into the presence of God and he says then I have to deal with it and get it out of the camp I have to transfer it on there slaughter it separate it and get it out I can't take it I can't see it it's impossible for that to happen year after year after year after year they did all these things slaughtering bulls getting goats out of the camp until Christ came in Hebrews chapter 7, Christ sacrificed for our sins once and for all when he offered himself. Then nothing, no goat, no bull, nothing was needed at that point. All right, class adjourned. We're back. Now watch this. As I said, we often say Jesus died for your sins. The Bible proposes something much deeper than that. When Christ was on the cross, the sky turned dark for three hours. And in that moment, Jesus wasn't just dying for our sins. Our sins were being transferred to him.
and he became sin. Way different. He became our awfulness. Just like that goat where everything was... Don't believe me? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. <sighs> Best news you can hear all week. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, I'm, I'm a little nervous to go to heaven. Because I can't be good enough, God is saying, you got it. Perfect. A plus. You passed the test. You cannot be good enough, but you can become my righteousness by saying, oh, it wasn't trying to reform. I got to take all my junk and lay it on the sacrifice so that he took it away so that when I come before him, if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all, 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 all unrighteousness. It is incredible news. We talk about good news. Really? No, it's incredible news. I hope I don't get too excited. Galatians chapter 13. I woke up with a sore throat this, this morning. I'm like, I, t- I asked my wife, was I yelling a lot last night? Yeah, yeah, you were yelling a lot. I'm like, okay, I haven't even got to the yelling part yet, so stay tuned. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is everyone who is hung on a tree. Finally, Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, laid on him, transferred on him the iniquity of us all. The sky turns dark for three hours. And in that moment, the, the stress that we saw in the garden is even amped up into this moment in Mark chapter 15. Christ is on the cross. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land. The entire earth was eclipsed in darkness until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, May I say, I believe it was the loudest voice that he could scream. I won't read because I'll blow the pronunciation, but he says, My God, my God, where are you? You have, why have you abandoned me? Because God at that moment could not look on the sin that had been transferred. In that moment, it was dark more than we know because of this separation until death came and Christ said, it is done. 
I did it. I took it on. I absorbed it. And it was done. Back to the garden. This is what stressed Jesus out. You see, he knew from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, that for the first time, how intimate he had been with the Father. Not for a thousand years, but for eternity. That in this short segment of time, he was going to feel the sense of separation because he became our sin. He was appropriately stressed out. It is the worst feeling that we have as human beings. Last Sunday, we went up to, uh, to pick up a, a desk chair at Ikea. Many of you know I love that place. It's cool and cheap, and it's a nice uh, combo I like. <laughs> we got into the kids' area, and they have these kind of cool kids' um, kind of dome chairs, and you could, the, the, the child can get in and pull a top over it so you can't see them. You've seen those? So sure enough, you know, we're brain dead. It's, it's Sunday afternoon, which we're kind of like that anyway. And so we're kind of trekking through Ikea, unbeknownst to us. We're very, usually hyper vigilant. He had gotten to the chair and whoosh, pulled the top over. And we kept like cattle herding through, you know, with all the other people. We had gone quite a ways until we heard... He had come up behind us, and we didn't know. And he said, hey! That scared you, didn't it? It scared us, too. I saw you jump. That was cool. We're like, who's talking to us that way? Hey! What was that about? He's seven years old. I'm like, dude, you're talking like a 15-year-old. What's up with that? <laughs> you see, he never talked to us. You know what it was? absolute deepest human fear of separation i you read the scriptures and you find out anywhere in the scriptures where jesus talked to the father like that why have you forsaken me read every paragraph of every page you won't find christ because he was separated in that moment for the first time of eternity It is the worst moments of our life, no matter what you're going through. No matter if you have a flat tire or your air condition goes out. I know. You can make it through that if you know that God is with you. Don't we read in the 23rd Psalm that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear any evil because I'm not separated from you, God. If you have found yourself in your chapter of life where you find you feel that you're separated from God, I promise you it's the worst chapter of your life. And it's us that separate ourselves from God, not the other way around. In fact, we're promised in the book of Romans that nothing can separate us except our own wills. We were born with a condition of separation. I know that's hard to grasp. 
we always talk about the things we've done wrong, but it's a condition we're born with. We're born, David said, I was born a sinner from my mother's womb. We were born separated. The good news is this in Ephesians chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once separated have been brought near through the blood of Christ, but you have to make the transfer. You have to say, God, I, I've tried. I've tried to do good. I, I can't do it. I'm taking my sin, and I'm, by faith, I'm putting it on the cross with Christ. And I will become righteousness because I've transferred it out of my camp onto Christ. I have to say this. I have to say this. For those that know me, you know I'm anti-manipulation, so please don't take this as such. But one day I will stand before God. We're told in the scriptures that teachers will actually be held to a higher standard. Whether or not we said the whole truth or we just got up and preached ice cream, it's a sobering verse for me. I have to say this before we leave today. We're born in a separated condition. We have to take care of that with Christ. At the end of time, Christ will say one of two things. In Matthew chapter 25, Christ will either say this, come, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This is not based on good works, not based on religion, not based on what you knew, not even based on that you agree with the Christian story because for 20-some years, I agreed with the Christian story. I, 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 if you ask me, did Christ die? Yep. Right, coming back from the dead? Yep. Coming back? Yep. Bible's true? Yep. Check. But I had not transferred personally. God, I'm taking my sin. I'm putting it on Christ. I need a new life. I want yours. Never did it until I was in my early 20s. It's because of that transfer alone and faith that God will say to us, come. See, now you're perfect through the blood of Christ. Come on in. Or he will say these words. I can't even read them without... Hmm. For some, he will say, depart from me. You who are are cursed, because we're born cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you believe that, Steve? I believe it. Or else I don't think Christ would have said it. It's not because those are bad people and are any badder than we are. It's those who have not transferred their sin to Christ and therefore with the holy eyes of God he cannot look on them. If you think separated from God in this lifetime is bad and whatever picture you may have in your mind of hell with flames and devil and all that, let me tell you the ultimate anguish for the human soul will be utter darkness, 
of eternal, unreversible, irreversible separation from God. May I beg you to consider Christ. May I beg you to consider in simple faith, oh God, I no longer want to be separated from you. I want to transfer my sin to you. In faith, I believe that Christ became my sin. I want your new life in me. That's simple. Meant from the heart. Prepared to change. God, I'm, I'm ready for reversal. <clears throat> Steve, you look pretty serious. I couldn't be more serious. I love a good joke. Not the time to joke. Your decision. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's the picture that God gave to us, that Jesus gave to us to remind us of the incredible gift that we have, that when we transfer our sin to his, <laughs> we get to be with him forever. It is such a gift. And God says, just take it. We're going to switch it up a little bit today. There may be some of you that say, man, if you're like me when, on the day I came to Christ, you couldn't bolt the doors. I would have kicked them down. I want Christ today. I want Christ. No sappy music playing. No emotional call. Not me begging you to over and over and over. None of that stuff. But if Christ has struck your heart and said, man, today I need Christ We've had people come to Christ this week in simple faith of saying, I want Christ. I've got to transfer. I'm tired of being separated. And for heaven's sakes, I don't want to be separated from God. I want Christ today. We have a prayer room in the back. I would encourage you just to go back and say, I don't even, this is all new to me. I just want Christ. You may have been sitting in church like I have for years and say, I, I've agreed with the story, but I've never made the transfer I want to I be sure by faith that I have accepted Christ and he has taken my sin, whatever that may be. As we're coming down for communion, I encourage you and urge you just to slip out from where you are. Go in the back. We have such an incredible prayer team. No pressure. You might just have questions. No pressure. It's not our style here. And say, I want Christ today. And they will lead you into, 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 um, into a relationship with Christ. As we come, let me talk about some nuts and bolts with our communion today. We'll start with the outer sections. If you'll come through these aisles uh, take the, the bread and the juice, keep it, go back to your uh, chairs. We'll take it together. Uh, the center aisles, if you'll come down these aisles and then go back in the middle. And uh, we'll celebrate this great gift that God has given to us. It's a sobering message. I feel the soberness in the room, as we should. This is not all fun and games. It's not. Eternity is at stake. Separation from God is at stake. Take it seriously. Let's pray. God, we need you so much. God, we, we've tried, some of us tried so long to rehabilitate ourselves. Tried so long, God, to renovate 
are the nature that we were born with. We can fight it and fight it and fight it until if we honestly take a look in the mirror, we, we, we realize, God, we can't be good enough. Thank you, Father, for all those years that you provided perfect justice and per- perfect mercy until we got to Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. God, thank you for becoming uh, human, uh, walking in flesh. Thank you, Christ, for becoming sin. Thank you, God. Thank you, Christ, for enduring those moments of hell on the cross when you became our sin until the Lamb of God was slain and you took our sin away. I pray, God, for those in this room that just can't wait to take your gift. They can't wait to just get rid of all the weight of their sin and lay it on Christ away from them for good. Thank you, God, for this bread, for this juice that reminds us, that gives us such a clear picture of your body being broken your blood being spilt so that we could be drawn close to you. We love you, God. We love you. We love you. Help our minds to be sobered by this truth. We ask it in the brilliant name of Christ. Amen.